1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 to 7 Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewellery, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, our scripture today is a continuation, isn't it, of what we were working through last week about just the gospel posture that, that we are all to take. Uh, the idea that we thought of last week, that we be subject to every authority over us. The idea from last week that we honour all people around us. Today's passage, uh, to start chapter 3, we move from that general call to uh, that basic Christian posture in life to consider now in these verses more specifically the closest of all human relationships, uh, the most intimate relationship that we can find ourselves in this life that of husband and wife. And we can see that this does continue from that broader call back in chapter 2 by, by the first words there in, in chapter 3, likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And it's not just the word likewise, of course. The whole, the whole concept there in, in verse 1, that wives should be subject to their own husbands, matches that concept more generally from last week's scripture, that, that we are to be subject to every kind of human authority in this life, as Peter put it in chapter 2 and verse 13. So too, uh, the chapter 2 concepts of showing respect and honours, honour to others is, is captured again here in, 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 for example, verse 7 at the end, where likewise is again invoked for the husband in the marital relationship. Likewise, the husband is to honour his wife, just as we are all called to honour everyone, uh, such as in chapter 2, verse 17 last week. And what we've got here then is a beautiful case example of the things that Peter was calling us to last week. But thinking about this basic Christian uh, call in the specific context of marriage will be a difficult thing for many of us to do. For some of us who aren't married or aren't married anymore, this might stir up difficult feelings. Or on the other hand, it might just seem irrelevant. But I encourage you to lean in and listen to what this scripture says. For some of us who are, who are in or, or who have been in uh, difficult marriages, this might be very painful to work through. Or on the other hand, it might just seem futile. But I encourage you to lean in and listen to what this scripture says. 
And for many of us, regardless of our situations in all of this, this just might be a tough scripture today simply because of what it says. Uh, and most particularly, uh, I suspect, that, that the simple Christian instruction that all of us should be subject to those in places of authority now suddenly becomes very heated and extremely countercultural in this case example here of marriage. But I encourage us all to lean in and listen to what this scripture says. But before we do, let me start first with just a simple cultural observation. Uh, it seems to me that uh, throughout all of human history, and probably in every culture in the world over that human history, there has been a basic male-female order uh, in the, the marriage relationship. You know, the husband in the marriage has a role of, of leading or, or responsibility or oversight or, or authority. Uh, think of it however you will. Whether it's formalised in writing or just completely unspoken in whatever culture, this just seems to be the, the very basic expression of marriage as it has been all over the world and all through time. And if you think about it uh, for a little bit, you know, when two people should suddenly walk life together it will just happen naturally that, that one of them will take a, a leading kind of role, take on a greater sense of responsibility for, for the both of them. Take the short straw by default, you know, when there's no straws on hand and the, and the couple come up against any of those situations that neither of them particularly want to deal with. Take the posture of the greater sacrifice of the two, even of their life if need be, for the sake of the other. Historically, culturally, globally, that... that role has just naturally been assumed in the marriage by the husband. I don't know, maybe you can look into it more with more time uh, on your hands if you do, uh, and maybe you'll find a different story to that basic husband-wife order in marriage. Only two cultural exceptions came to my mind while I was trying to think this through. Uh, the fictitious Amazonian women of Greek mythology and our current generation, which is increasingly dismissing all this and abandoning that basic husband-wife relational order in marriage. Although it's only part of our current generation, to be fair, that is rejecting that sense of order in marriage. It's the Western world. And perhaps even more specific, specifically, it's, it's the Anglo-Western world, a modern culture that is fiercely determined to push personal independence, individualistic you know, self-glory rather than things like family and neighbourhood and community. Even Christianity as a, a faith in the modern West has become almost exclusively about private faith rather than uh, the corporate expression of faith among the people of God in, in a faith community, which is actually what the scriptures present. Marriage, too, in the middle of all that, has become about the individual's needs and rights and wants rather than the relationship of the two people together. 
Anyway, that's my very simplistic observation. But rather than trying to dig up cultural statistics and maybe dissect and analyse those two options and, and try to figure out which one is right or, or best or whatever, you know, the near universal all of human history concept of marriage where the husband has a role of some kind of responsibility or authority, or on the other hand, the prolific in the current Western world concept of marriage where there is no such role for the husband, I think rather we might just come to our text now and think about how the word of God presents marriage. And uh, Peter, in that first verse, immediately forces us to doubt what our current culture around us is doing on this matter. Because right from those first words in chapter 3, there is just no alternative but to see that marriage, in the biblical view, does have that basic husband-wife ordering that has hitherto been captured in every culture but ours today likewise wives be subject to your own husbands i mean there's no question from that is there that that instruction makes very clear that that the marriage relationship just has a basic sense of order in it the husband does have some kind of authority in the relationship again it's in verse 5 For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That instruction grates on our modern ears, doesn't it? So too does the language in verse 7 grate on our ears that the wife is is the weaker partner in the marriage in, in some sense. But there it is in the word of God. There must be something to this. And that Peter's picture here is is not just his kind of take, but it's in line with the wider biblical picture of marriage is actually made clear there in verse 5 when he flags the holy women of old doing the same thing in their marriages and giving Sarah as the example of that. In fact, the natural male-female order in the marital relationship goes right the way back to creation in Genesis 1. And verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Or the more personal account in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. There is a distinction between man and woman in creation and so too when they come together in marriage. And that distinction just flows naturally into distinct roles for husband and wife. Perhaps the main reason our current Western generation cringes at this biblical idea of, of a husband-wife ordering within the marriage relationship is that we've, we've seen the outfall, haven't we? We've seen the outfall of that relational order gone horribly wrong. Under the effects of sin, any relational dynamic 
can become truly awful and, and that has certainly happened with marriage by way of husbands abusing their role and so too, of course, by way of wives abusing their role. But it has been compounding that uh, woe and that fallout and that mess that our culture's response now has been not to correct that abuse but rather strip away all sense of relational order altogether. Our wider culture shall do what it will but as we learnt in last week's text, we as the people of God are called differently. You and I are not to take a spirit of rebellion, but a spirit of submission to and respect for the various kinds of relational order that God has ordained in this world. And so we need to accept a biblical correction on that abuse of relational order in marriage that has debased this precious relationship in our wider world. And our correction flows right through this passage of Scripture if we can try to listen to the text calmly, such as in verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Imagine if husbands could see their wives the way God sees their wives. How about verse 7? Show honour to your wife. She is a co-heir with you of the grace of life. Leading in the marriage is not about being more important or or more valuable or or of greater dignity or worth or, or anything like that. The husband leads as one with extra responsibility and, and with specific role, but he leads a wife who is equally precious in the eyes of God, just as he is. And following in the marriage, therefore, is not about being less important in any way, shape or form. Put simply, the, the flip side to the role of, of leadership that falls to the husband is that the wife he leads is of equal dignity and value. Equal dignity and value, yet but with some kind of relational order. Those are the two things that we need to find the biblical balance in to understand mar- marriage. There is a distinction in role between the two parties, but not at all in terms of worth. They are co-heirs of eternal life. Indeed, as the creation of man and woman in Genesis 2 goes on to say, the husband and wife are to become one. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There is some Beautiful and mysterious mingling of souls together in this precious relationship of marriage. And it's hard to see, actually, how how the relationship would be abused or, or, or misused if the husband and wife truly grasped what the scriptures say about marriage. If the two truly do become one flesh, then then any rejection of the natural order within marriage or any rejection of the equal value within marriage, well, it would be tantamount in either case to to self-harm, wouldn't it, 
if the two had become one. I wonder if the two parts of this marriage order might cooperate, actually, for for the good of both partners in in a synergistic kind of way. You know, that when the wife submits to the husband, he might just naturally lead more gently. And when the husband leads more respectfully and gently, the wife might more naturally follow. And when both find this basic gospel posture that Peter's been talking about in these scriptures, that this this ordered equality would just organically and inevitably just start to hum in beautiful harmony. And when both parts are are humming together as one, that this, this teaching here in scripture would not be so offensive in our ears, but just more absolutely glorious. I suggest that the actual picture in Scripture of of natural order but but equal value between husband and wife is actually what all human cultures have desperately needed to hear because in all cultures sin has distorted the marriage relationship and in both directions, as I say. Wives have not respected their husband's lead. Husbands have not respected their wife's equal value in the eyes of God. What at first offends us here in Scripture, in in what seems like God's controversial design for marriage, is actually the most beautiful picture of marriage that can be. It's just that with a spirit of rebellion, we simply can't see its beauty and its rightness and its goodness for us. And so Peter's writing this here to give us the biblical corrective that, that we as Christians must get our concept of the marital relationship back to. And there's nothing here that Peter calls us to that we aren't also called to in other scriptures like Colossians 3 or Titus 2 or, or Ephesians 5. In fact, when we did work through Colossians back in January, if you recall, we, we wrestled with these same truths. And if you want to dig deeper on this uh, today, then, then hit up the podcast library and look up the sermon that we called The Gospel Household and open up the letter to the Colossians. Paul leads us through these very same things. Meanwhile, Peter's saying it here in the scripture in front of us today. Wives, accept that God intends that your husband should lead. Husbands, learn to lead your wife as an equally precious child of God. And accordingly, the call from Peter here comes with a few reasons woven in it and woven around it that that tell us why we should adopt this relational posture in marriage. First of all, we engage together in marriage this way because as Peter just set down in in the preceding verse to this text and where we finished last week in chapter 2 and verse 25, we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Whether male or female, a Christian in marriage belongs first and foremost to Jesus. And that means following Jesus in how they live their life, in every sphere of life, and including marriage, and knowing all the while that they forever belong to him. We live as Jesus shows us. Because even in the the closest possible human union in this world, we we first and foremost and forever belong to him. And if we read through this difficult text again with with that perspective in mind from verse 25 of chapter 2, we might actually wonder, you know, how could we just 
object to such a simple call and such basic gospel posture. The call here in these verses is a call towards respectfulness, purity, gentleness, quietness, submissiveness, goodness, understanding, honour. This is all just fundamental gospel stuff, isn't it? Other person-centred gospel posture. Why is it so intolerable to us in the context of marriage? A second angle on that reason is sitting there in verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. We now are the people of God. We who have come to the shepherd and overseer of our souls have become the people of God. That's what verse 6 is saying. Formerly we were Gentiles and sinners without hope. Now we are the children of Abraham and Sarah. This is an old covenant way of saying that we who are the new covenant people in Christ are also of those whom God had planned his eternal plans for. We might reflect on the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12 through 17. We looked at it some time ago in our covenant series. His promise that they would have offspring as numerous as stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. We might reflect too on the the ordeal that it was for Abraham and Sarah to have just the one child, Isaac. Well, now in God's plan and in God's eyes, we who are in Christ, not just some kind of strange beneficiaries to all this, we are children of Sarah. What a family God is redeeming. How could we not be mindful of of all of God's plans and all of God's people in this glorious family forever when it comes to navigating our own marriage? Why do we enter into marriage, actually, and then walk through marriage focusing so much just on me? Again, in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. We are children of Abraham and Sarah. We are heirs of eternal life. I think we miss such glorious truths in scriptures like this when our our modern, individualistic, easily offended, rebellious blinkers just kind of blind our eyes to these things. But if only we could just shake ourselves free of our our cultural grooming and, and just behold the glory of God's gospel written on this page for us. We are the people of God. We are destined to live with him and under his good rule forever. Why would we object to his rule in this one area, in this life? A third reason to embrace uh, this call to living harmoniously in marriage is is captured in verse 1 and 2 at the very start there. (laughs) The winning over of unbelieving or rebellious partners. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, without a word, 
by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Just as Peter had in the previous section seemed to be suggesting that our Christian posture in all of our earthly relationships can bring ungodly people to change and even to find faith, such as in chapter 2 and verse 12 and verse 15 we were thinking through last week, so too, likewise, chapter 3 and verse 1, and even more explicitly now, a wife who embraces this basic Christian posture in marriage might win over an unbelieving or rebellious husband to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And surely this would apply the other way around too if things were on the other foot. Likewise, verse 7 says, likewise of husbands, surely when a Christian husband embraces this respectful, honouring posture towards his unbelieving or hard-hearted wife, surely she too might be won over to the gospel of Christ. Oh, the eternal relevance of, of you and I embracing this godly picture of the marriage relationship in, instead of resisting it the way we are so inclined to do. What if, despite all this, you know, what if the other partner won't believe? What if the other partner, whether they're believers or not, what if they just won't assume this biblical posture for marriage? What then? Well, as I say, this example of the marriage relationship flows straight out of the more general call of this scripture that we were thinking through last week, whereby we're just called to our Christian posture regardless of the other party in the relationship. The call is on us as God's people. Chapter 2 and verses 19 to 20, if you have your Bible there in front of you, glance back, it is a gracious thing that when doing the good that we are called to, we should suffer at the hands of the other. Chapter 2 and verses 15 to 19, keep your conduct honourable so that the other will see your good deeds. Why would these same principles not apply in marriage? There may be occasion when things are going awful uh, and when the marriage relationship has, has fallen into chaos. Uh, it might be, might be that counselling or, or separation or some kind of help like that might restore a marriage to this picture. But any such help that we do take for that must observe this picture and this posture for marriage if there is going to be any restoration. And restoration should be the goal, always. Our heart should be always for the other in marriage. We should be very wary of, of you know, secular help outside of these scriptures because that kind of guidance can often tend to seek more for division you know, division of assets, division of the marriage, division according to the needs and rights of each individual. Biblical marriage seeks for oneness of the two. We thought about that uh, and navigating through uh, broken relationships a bit more when we were back in Colossians at the start of the year. And I, I do encourage you to revisit that if you, if you need to think more into that space today about marriage. But wherever you're at thinking about marriage, 
let's be honest, this is a hard teaching of Scripture. Places like Colossians and, and 1 Peter here. And it may be that, that not everyone can grasp this, this radical concept of how marriage can simultaneously uphold both, both a functional order in the relationship and an intrinsic equality between the husband and wife. Maybe this is something not everyone can grasp. And I guess that leaves us with a couple of options as to what we do with this. We could continue to follow our wider culture's lead on marriage, which, ironically, I think, in another 10 years, might not be so offended by this text uh, because we're currently in the process of losing the distinction between male and female and therefore we will in time also lose the distinction of husband and wife in marriage. Everything that's been fought for by our wider culture in terms of women and men and husbands and wives is, is on the verge of collapsing into total chaos of every individual ego for itself. We could keep down that path as well and we could walk deeper and deeper into the carnage if we want. Or we could follow the way of the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Our shepherd who upholds the dignity of both male and female. A shepherd who upholds the dignity of both husband and wife. A shepherd who upholds the fundamental natural order of a man and woman in marriage and yet the equality of the two as he designed and created us to experience when we do enter into that sacred space. I mean, I call us to option two, obviously. That's what I'm here today to do. But for two good reasons. The institution of marriage in our society is an absolute train wreck. There is so much hurt out there. There is so much pain, so much disaster so much ruin. It is everywhere. But secondly, I call us to this because surely, you know, we can trust. Can't we trust the shepherd and overseer of our souls on this question? Can't we just, you know, trust him and surely we can listen to what he calls us to in scriptures like this? I mean, would he really be right about everything else, including even the eternal salvation and well-being of our souls, and somehow be wrong about this? As I say, the world around us may do as they please, and I'm sure they will, but we are the people of God, and we are called to this. We may be husbands and wives, but we are first and foremost children and heirs by the grace of our Lord Jesus. By the grace of our Lord Jesus, we are children and heirs. So, so even if in wider society marriage somehow did look better and more productive or fruitful or exciting or whatever than it does in the church, even so, we still must not forsake the instruction of our Lord for the ways of the world. He's the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We are sojourners and foreigners in this world, as we thought through last week, just like our father and mother were, Abraham and Sarah. Sojourners and foreigners, we are called to be different to the world, 
in how we approach all of our relationships. And so too it must be that we take a godly posture in this relationship, this sacred union that brings two former strangers together as one. But adopting this posture means taking a heavy blow to our ego. Whether husband or wife, this call requires letting go of ourself and treating the other as more important than ourself. Just as Christ did for us in laying down his life to pay for our sin, to become the shepherd of our soul and to make us children and heirs. Just as we are therefore in turn called to do in Philippians 2, for example, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. This call in First Peter uh, to husbands and wives needs a whole lot of that. A whole lot of that humility. A whole lot of that regarding the other person as more significant than ourself. And that is a hard call for all of us. But that's the call. That's the call. So as the scriptures say in a couple of sweet verses that we looked at in Colossians back in January, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Such is the word of God for husband and wife. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this scripture today. A difficult scripture, but nevertheless a scripture that reminds us that we are your people. We are the children of Sarah and Abraham. We are heirs of eternal life. And all of this is by your grace and by your grace alone. We thank you, Father, too, for marriage and the beautiful relationship that you have designed it to be. But no doubt, Father, this is hard for us to achieve. And so we we ask your help to live this call out better in our own lives. We pray for the marriages in this church, Father, that you would keep them strong, keep them faithful to your design, that two uh, truly would become one flesh in these marriages, and that the functional order and, and the intrinsic equality of husband and wife would, would glorify you and, and win more people for Christ. Really, Father, at its heart, we, we seek to be more like Christ, more like you as you have shown us in Christ and that we would follow this example and this instruction from the shepherd of our souls. So please, Father, grow us in a more other-person-centred gospel posture for your eternal glory and our eternal benefit. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.